your gift of salvation in Christ. And Lord, please humble our hearts as we listen to your word. May your grace abound to work in us so that we won't just be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's uh, read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of good works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These 10 verses are over 200 words that form a single unit of thought. But you can summarize this to only three words. Only Christ saves. Only Christ saves. Paul paints a graphic picture of a life without Christ. And then he continues to explain the amazing salvation and transformation of a sinner by God's grace. This kind of reminds me of you know, popular TV reality shows like Fixer Upper. And you know, every episode shows the realities of the stage-by-stage -stage process of transforming a dark, unclean, unlivable house into a clean and beautiful home. The amazing transformation of the house draws stunning reactions from the homeowners or those who have seen the house. There is definitely an obvious change. There is a renewed purpose for the home and joy involved who saw the realities of the transformation. In a similar way to our passage, Paul states the realities of God's saving work in the life of sinners. But Paul didn't say that we are remodeled sinners or we are repaired sinners. We are better than that. Paul states in 2 Corinthians 
5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Believers are born again. We are new creations. And this is what Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is all about. In this passage, Paul shares three realities of God's salvation plan for sinners through Christ so that believers can treasure the gospel even more and that unbelievers can know the truth of the gospel. In verses 1 to 3, we see that Paul paints a graphic, tragic picture of a life without Christ. So my first point is, without Christ, enslaved sinners are condemned to God's wrath. Without Christ, enslaved sinners are condemned to God's wrath. To understand how man is saved, we must first understand what man is and why he needs to be saved. Observe the text. Paul says, you were dead. Past tense, you were dead. Paul, Paul reminds us of our past life without Christ. Paul didn't say, you were dead because of sin. He didn't say that. What does the text say? You were dead in, in trespasses and sins. We are not dead because we have committed sin. We don't sin, then die. We, we are born dead. That's why we sin. We're born dead that's why we sin. We're born in sin. Our church has grown in number. Yes, uh, our church membership is growing, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the growth of the number of babies in our church. And we all love cute babies. Maybe for some of you, you're having a baby fever, like my wife. But no matter how cute they are, you ask every parent, every parent, you ask them, huh, do they just sin on their own? And parents would say, yes. You don't teach kids, you don't teach babies how to sin. They just naturally do it. The most common word that parents say is not yes. <laughs> Actually, it's no. Don't do that. David says in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We were all born in sin. The first three verses describe the total depravity of sinful mankind. Verse 1 states that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Verse 2 states that we were enslaved to the forces of sin. And in verse 3 states that 
we were condemned in sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin stains all aspects of human personality, character, mind, and emotions. All human experience is corrupted by sin. And this is total depravity. There is no good work that can satisfy the righteous standards of our holy God. There is no good thing in us that we can lift to God for His approval. We have no power. We have no capability to save ourselves. Our depravity only shows our desperate need for salvation. You see, without Christ, every human being is on a collision course of God's righteous judgment, holy wrath, and eternal condemnation. We were helpless because we were enslaved to sin. We see the three forces that enslave us in verses 2 to 3. Look at verse 2. We were enslaved to this world what the world worships, what the world glorifies. Not only that, Paul continues, we were enslaved to Satan who is at work in the sons of disobedience. And the third final force, our own fleshly passions and desires. We were enslaved to sin. We disobeyed his commands. We ignored his warnings. We violated His law. We were unwilling to admit our desperate need. We were proud of our own self-righteousness. We have hated. We have been stubborn and foolish in worshiping the idols of this world. And we have spurned the greatest love gift ever, Jesus Christ. No wonder we were children of wrath. We were subject to God's wrath. Not a lot of people like to talk about God's wrath or they're not comfortable singing about it. This reminds me of a story about the hymn In Christ Alone. This is one of my favorite hymns and it could be yours too. In the summer of 2013, uh, their hymn made headlines because of a, lyr a lyrical uh, change or a lyrical proposed change. A hymn committee from the Presbyterian Church of the USA wanted to add this hymn to their hymnal, but they wanted to change the lyrics. So there's a line that goes, I'm not going to sing, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change that to, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. The songwriters, Keith Getty and Stuart Townend, rejected the proposed change. And as, as a result, the hymn committee voted not to put that hymn in their hymnal. 
Keith Getty, <clears throat> Getty responds, I believe the lyrics of In Christ Alone express theological truths about the life, death, and saving power of Christ through his sacrificial death on the cross. We believe changing the lyrics would remove an essential part of the gospel story as explained throughout scripture. The main thread of what we, what we see revealed throughout the Old and New Testament is the need for man to be made right with God. The provided path for reconciliation came through Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross, thereby satisfying God's wrath once and for all. You see, God's wrath is not like our wrath, and His ways are not like our ways. Throughout Scripture, the need for atonement is likened to a cup of wrath that the sinner must consume. But Christ drank this cup for us. For us to appreciate, we have to understand who God is. We have to understand who God is. God is holy and we are not. God's holy wrath is God's holy anger on sin. In Romans 1.18, God's wrath is against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. God is not neutral with sin. He hates sin. Our God is holy and He is determined that we cannot get away with our sin because He is just. Man's ultimate problem is not really hell nor death or Satan. Man's ultimate problem really is God's wrath. Yes, we needed to be saved from sin and death, but ultimately we needed to be saved from God's wrath. And we were headed towards a collision course of His holy wrath against sin. But God, but God provided the solution. He saved us in Christ. The first Three verses, verses 1 to 3, summarize the bad news for the sinners. But we see it's past tense. You were. We were slaves to sin. But remember, a slave can be set free. The bad news of sin is met with the good news of salvation, which is found in the next verses. In verses 4 to 7. Which leads me to my second point. With Christ, dead sinners are made alive in God's mercy and love. With Christ, dead sinners are made alive in God's mercy and love. In verse 4, Paul highlights the only one who turns the bad news into good news. God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you can summarize the gospel into these two great words. But God, sinners who were in darkness have seen a great light in the face of Jesus Christ. These two words are good news for sinners, for the dead sinners. Show me in the text, in verses 1 to 3, of any hope, no human organization, no religion, 
no human good work can be able to give hope, but only God. These two great words tells us that God intervened to save us. It transitions us from the hopelessness and darkness of sin to the heavenly, to the eternal, to the miraculous. And what is that miracle? God made dead sinners alive with Christ. He made dead sinners alive with Christ. But what motivated God? What motivated Him to save sinners? You can see that in our text. In the next phrase, we see how our God is described. Read verse 4. Yes, He is holy and just, but He is also rich in mercy, great in love, lavish in grace, and infinite in kindness. God is rich in mercy. Mercy is the outward manifestation of compassion. Mercy is withholding something that we deserve. We deserve wrath, but He withheld it. Grace is giving us something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation, but He gave it to us. And the great love here is the agape love, the true biblical love. And to understand God's love here is to put it into contrast of what is not love. God's love is different from how humans define love. And we see in our culture how love is defined. We hear that in the popular songs that are being played on the radio, or should I say Spotify, so I googled random love songs and listened to their lyrics of how they use love. I don't care who you are, where you're from, don't care what you did, as long as you love me. That's from the Backstreet Boys. You see, as long as you love me, it's okay. Here's another one. What you've got, boy, is hard to find. I think about you all the time. I'm all strung out. My heart is fried. I just can't get you off my mind. Because your love, your love, your love is my drug. How about here? How about third song? I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit so hard in love. I never hit so hard in love. All I wanted was to break your walls. All you ever did was wreck me. Yeah, you, you wrecked me. <laughs> Here's another song. I had to translate it to English. I want to be your opa. I'm so hungry for your love. I want to be your opa. I'll have you, just watch. That's from BTS. If you were born in the 80s or if you were born before 2000, maybe you know this song. I found the greatest love of all. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself 
is the greatest love of all. That was Whitney Houston. And last, last song here. Don't treat me to the things of this world. I'm not that kind of girl. Your love is what I prefer, what I deserve. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Because if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. And that is Beyonce. Actually, she has a point on that last point. But anyway, you see, the world's, you see, the world's definition of love is actually self-love, right? It's usually linked to self-happiness. The world says, I love you because you make me feel happy. You make me feel special. But true love is sacrificial. Here's the key point. God's love was an intentional choice. Intentional choice to save us. It's not about the object of love. Unlike man, Christ didn't love us because we were lovable or we were worthy of love. Or it will make God feel special. Look at the text. When did he love us? Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses. He loved us. Romans 5, 6-8. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, God loves us, but there was a cost. It cost the life of Christ, the blood of Christ. Christ paid the price with his own life to bear God's wrath, to satisfy God's righteous demands so that we could be with him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you understand that? God loves you. Perhaps I should say, God loves in spite of you. Have you ever experienced someone, someone telling you, I love you? And then, when they found out the real you, they would, oh, I'm out of here. I didn't sign up for this. Have you experienced that kind of betrayal? You see, God is not like that. God will not betray us like that. Think about it. God already knew your darkest, deepest sin, whether it's in thought or in action. And yet, He still chose to save you because He loves you. Think about that. God knows everything about you, and yet He still chose to love you. This is the unfailing, steadfast, great love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's go back to our text. 
God's the main doer of all the actions. The only action we did was the sinning part, and God did the saving part. Look at the main preposition for every action. With Christ. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ. He even seated us with Christ. Salvation has a purpose. Yes, it is deliverance from death, slavery, and wrath. But it also includes a new life with Christ. Together with Him, we have been made alive, exalted, and seated in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This purpose or the purpose of salvation has a profound impact on us. When you're struggling with discontentment, perhaps you're, feel, you're, feeling, you're feeling like God is withholding something good from you. Remember, remember the gospel. God withheld his wrath on you because of Christ. Our greatest need was given to us at the cross. And only Christ can truly satisfy us. Christ and his gospel are sufficient. His steadfast love and His presence in our lives can truly satisfy us. Remember the gospel. So let's do a quick review. In verses 1 to 3, we see that without Christ, enslaved sinners are condemned to God's wrath. Verses 4 to 7, with Christ, dead sinners are made alive in God's mercy and love. But we are not just saved so that we can live our best life now. No. God has a plan for you. Yes, we are to enjoy Christ and His blessings. But it doesn't stop there. God has a plan for us after we have been saved. And this leads me to my third and last point. Like Christ, saved sinners walk in fruitfulness by God's grace. Like Christ... Saved sinners walk in fruitfulness by God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, grace is amazing. Grace is God's life given to us by unmerited favor. And we didn't earn it. Our response in salvation is faith. Faith is nothing that we do on our own power or by our own capability. Remember, we were dead. And dead people cannot respond. Dead people need to be made alive. And Paul emphasizes that even faith is not from us, but it's a gift of God. And what's the implication of that? It means no one can boast. No one can say, oh, I chose God. I chose to be saved. No, that is a gift of God. That means God chose us. The glory belongs to God. The gift of faith in Jesus Christ for salvation 
is a response to the gospel call. It is to turn away from our sins and to turn to Jesus Christ by believing with all of our heart in His Lordship and and His redemptive work at the cross and His resurrection. There is a transformed life after being saved. Look at verse 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were saved so that we would grow into Christ-likeness, bearing fruit of good works. Colossians 1.10. Colossians is a sister epistle of Ephesians. As to walk in a manner worthy, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And we see in our text that living faith will produce the fruit of good works that God intended for us. Dead faith does not produce good fruit. The evidence of salvation of a living faith is that it produces good fruit. You see, being a believer is not just an intellectual agreement to doctrine. Yes, we're going through FOF right now, but it's not just a mental agreement to it. It's not about knowing the Christian culture or the Christian lingo. It's not about head knowledge. It's not only about knowing the exegesis of the text, but it's about being surrendered to the text. Are you surrendered to God's Word? You can slice and dice the text, but at the end of the day, are you going to trust God and His Word? When a sinner comes to saving faith, it means he has surrendered to Jesus. And this is why we confess that Jesus is Lord. Our whole person is committed to all of Christ with our mind, heart, and will. And as a result, we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And this leads to a walk of fruitfulness. The life of a believer walks by faith, and God gives the grace to live a life of fruitfulness for the gospel works for His glory. We believers, we cannot live life on our own. We need the grace of God. We need Christ. And God didn't leave us on our own. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Brothers and sisters, if our life is not bearing fruit of good works, then we must have an honest assessment of our personal walk. Remember, we are never alone. Christ promises to give the grace that we need for our walk. As I close, 
it's good to be reminded of our life without Christ. This is the before Christ life. Look at how we were described again in verses 1 to 3. We were walking in sin. We were living for worldly kingdom. We were following Satan. We were united with the sons of disobedience. It means we love hanging out with unbelievers. We were enslaved to our fleshly desires. By nature, we were children of wrath. And finally, we were headed towards death and hell. But God, but God, being rich in mercy and with His great love, He made us alive with Christ. And throughout Ephesians, you see the contrast of a changed and transformed life that bears fruit. You see, in Ephesians 5.8, we are walking in the light. We are living for God's kingdom. We are following Christ. We are united with believers. It means we love being with church family. Our desires are being transformed to the desires of the Spirit. We were adopted to the family of God. It means we were children of God. And lastly, we have a spiritual life with spiritual blessings in Christ. And our home is heaven. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What an amazing work of salvation of our Lord and Savior. It's the Christmas season. Yes, we celebrate the first advent of Christ. But during this time, perhaps you are going to meet a lot of family and relatives. Uh, perhaps you may have Christmas parties at work, co-workers who are unbelievers. Before we complain about the flaws of our relatives, of our family members, let us remember first our own life, that we would also be lost like them without Christ. Remember that Christ made us alive, right? When did Christ lo love us? When we were perfect and so lovable? No. He demonstrated His love for you and me when we were still dead in our sin. We should be praying for the salvation of our loved ones who don't know Christ. We should be praying that they will have an Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 experience. We should be on our knees praying for them to be saved. Remember, we were dead without Christ. Remember, God made us alive because of His great love and mercy. And let's remember, like Christ, we need to have compassion for the lost. We need to be the salt and light bearing the fruit of good works as a testimony of the gospel of grace. If you are here and you are not sure you are saved, let me encourage you that the Lord saves those who calls upon His name. 
Turn away from your sin and turn to Christ. Repent and believe in the good news of Christ, and He will save you. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, what a great and merciful, loving, and gracious Savior you are. We are eternally thankful for your salvation work through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are not yet saved, listening to this, that they may turn away from their sin and turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior. May you illuminate your word in their hearts. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that is at work in us. May you continue to work with us as to grow in our walk so that we would bear the fruit of the gospel works that you've called upon us for your glory. We thank you for your wonderful gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.